Yeah, that's a microphone. That's a that's microphone. That's working. That's working. That's working. It's working. Right. Working. Working. Okay. We, we've ordered a pizza. I've got a fresh glass of wine. So do I. Clinky. Yeah. Yeah. Ah. At some point, we're just going to wind up with mason jaws full of wine. <laughs> Welcome to the Xanadu Cinema Pleasure Dome with Melissa Kersher and Wendy Bowlesby. Listeners to Xanadu Cinema Pleasure Dome. I am Melissa and this is Wendy. And we are here with a lot of wine. Mm. We've uh, Yes. We this is an even numbered episode, therefore we have already been drinking. Which means that the the bottle that we were supposed to open for this episode is already mostly gone. Yay us! <laughs> Go us! It's Melissa's birthday tomorrow and we are getting it on! It is Melissa's birthday in 56 minutes. Woohoo! So it, is, it is not just my birthday, it is my 40th birthday. These are my last few minutes of being age 39. Hey, my birthday, I was 45, so I'm firmly in my midlife crisis. So this is a year where both of us hit it. Awesome! Yeah! So I would like to proclaim that the wine we are drinking right now, that we have been drinking, that we are going to finish very soon, is called Rongo Dongo. (laughs) I don't know what that means in Spanish, but right now it means Rong Dong. (laughs) Rong Dong. And it um, seems very appropriate for this episode because it gives me much joy. I uh... Very true. Very true. It it is a well designed label, as we have said before in earlier episode when we were also drinking this bottle, this very same bottle of wine. It's like time travel, but with wine. But this <laughs> this 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 wine label is very Klimtian. It's very Klimt. It's, it's very gorgeous. We really need to. T- I'm going to keep this bottle, and I will take a proper picture. And I don't think this is just drunk me saying this. I think this is no, this it's is gorgeous aesthetics me. The, the the part of me that struggles through the drunkenness to say, yes, this is very objectively I beautiful. I would love to have that on a shirt. Yeah. Like, seriously, yeah. like a, a shirt or like a, a dress? Yeah. Wouldn't that be nice? Or like embedded in my hair. Yeah. Mm. Well, you, yeah, you've got the hair for it. It's true. Yes. Yeah. Mm. <sighs> yeah, it's beautiful. So, thunk, there it is on the table. <sighs> Oh, that happened. So we're waiting for pizza to show up, FYI. Yeah, so there may be a part of this episode where we go, hey, pizza, and completely drop what we're talking about. Just warning. Just warning. Uh, yeah, because you know what? Left Shark don't care. And <laughs> are we still on Left Shark? I am in love with Left Shark forever. Left Shark is the best. Also, male octopus. Male I would... octopus plus Left Shark equals what I aspire to be. That that joke is going to be at least like four months old by the time It doesn't matter. I will okay. still love Left Shark then. Okay. I want all the Left Sharkiness in my life possible. All I need to shark. embrace the Left Shark mentality. You know what? It's okay when you fuck up. 
And anybody who's going to dish you about it can just suck it. All I right. love that. All I right. love that. That's no, a, that good. is a it's philosophy good. of life. That's good. All right. So anyway, mm. what are we going to talk about tonight? We're going to talk about feel-good movies. We're going to talk about the movies that we, the two of us, personally drag out of our collections to watch over and over, over. and over again. When we're down, when we're sick. Yeah. When we just are like, you know what? I want to watch a movie, but I don't want to think too hard. Or, you know, we we want to reaffirm the joys in our life in some way. And considering the fact that we've been drinking steadily for hours now. Hours. um, Hours. We are already in our happy place, so we should be able to talk about our happy movies. And by the way, bafflingly, there is a third bottle of wine on this table. I came with two. It just magically appeared. Magically appeared. There is a third bottle of wine on this table. We don't know where it came from. The universe understands that yep. when you are recording Xanadu Cinema Pleasure Dome, wine should appear. Yes. <laughs> and given that it is the eve of my birthday or, you know, celebrated right now in New York City, um, we must drink. We must. Right now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right. All right. You know what? Since it's the eve of your birthday. Yes. Tell me, Melissa, what is one movie that makes you happy? <laughs> Face off. <laughs> I love it so I much. I know, right? <laughs> I know. Okay. Okay. So <laughs> I can't handle it. Oh. So I've watched this movie at least twice in the last two months. And both times I've been showing it to people who have never seen it before. <gasps> which is a joy. Oh my God. That must be glorious. Right? Okay. So... Dear listeners, if you don't know what Face Off is, turn off this podcast right, right now. now. Go to Netflix, get Face is Off. Is it on Netflix? It is. You can watch it streaming over and over and over again. Streaming? Streaming <gasps> for free. So yeah, so Face Off, you have John Woo directing John in all of his Woo. in his glorious John Woo-ness, complete with sparks and doves. The John Woo universe. This is, is the sound of pigeons flying. Yeah. Yeah, pigeons, doves, whichever you want to call you, you them, they're what? the same goddamn thing. They're flying out of a out of a coat, out of a coat, everywhere in a in a church, in a church, in a church. There are sparks. There are doves. There are people firing with two pistols at the same time, which really doesn't work in in real life. While flying sideways. Yeah, yeah. Pew pew. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely slow motion. Everything. Totally John Woo. But in this movie, you have both. You have both Nicolas Cage and John Travolta, who, by machinations of the plot, wind up playing each other. <laughs> so you get John Travolta playing Nicolas Cage, and you get Nicolas Cage playing John Travolta. Now, I will say, oddly enough, John Travolta is better at bringing the cage than Cage is bringing... Oh, sorry. At the John Travolta. But that's okay. It's really entertaining to see John Travolta do his best Nicolas Cage impression. Oh my it's God. really amazing. It's super enjoyable. Oh, it's so yummy. I can't. Oh my God. Let's be honest. Two of the most overacting, cheesiest actors. Given full reign to play each other's cheesiest overacting moments. I know. And there's a slightly futuristic thing going on. There's like a future prison that one of them winds up in and then there's this whole thing where they take his face off. Off. The face comes off. And th- that that pause is necessary because every time they say face 
off in the movie, there is this pause of face off and there is always a gesture to go with it. Now, dear listeners, if you're already familiar with this movie or if you're about to embark on a viewing of this movie, (laughs) please, please pay very careful attention to the gestures that go with the phrase face off. off. Because when... When Nicolas Cage does it, it's like he's releasing a dove. Face off. And he's, it's this glorious scooping motion. It's very graceful. It's like, like I said, releasing a dove. But when Nick Cassavetes does it, it's like, it's like he's pulling his nose out to inv- infinity. It's a face off. But it's very graceful, too. It's very, very wonderful to watch. <laughs> I am endlessly fascinated by this movie. Every time I watch it, there's... There's more to see. And it's like a Michael Bay movie. What? And in in that that utter deliciousness of explosions and action, except there's more to it when the explosions and action aren't happening. I'm I'm really impressed by it. One of the things I like about this movie is I like the relationship between uh, John Travolta and his wife and mm-hmm. their family yeah. very much. Yeah. Um, it's very warm. There's a lot to like. I mean, John Woo, we haven't seen anything from him in a while. Well, and, I think he went back to uh, making movies in China, if I remember. And his right. visual style gets a little mocked for, you know. For all the doves. Doves. Did the doves cry? <laughs> now, um, you weren't at the Oscars. To see, well, neither were you. You weren't at the Oscars. Pardon me. <laughs> um, you didn't get to see the Oscars telecast okay. like I did. And okay. there was a delightful moment with John Travolta where they made fun of the fact that he totally botched Adina Menzel's name. Sweet. Yeah, you need to you need to go look it up. You All need right. to go look it up because it's hilarious. It was, I have it was taken on, a lot of mileage with that joke in the last year. I must um, give credit to John Travolta for that glorious. Botch. I think it may have been one of the apps, one of the top three best moments of the Oscar telecast. Mm, nice. But John Travolta comes out with Adina Menzel, mm-hmm. the two of them together. But he spends like the first 30 seconds of the two of them together touching her face in really uncomfortable ways <laughs> to the point where like people were on Twitter and Facebook like, stop touching her. <laughs> and all I could think was... was- Face off. <laughs> exactly. I totally facepalmed Wendy in the, in the total face pa- face off manner. So, dear listeners, so there's this gesture that comes from uh, not just the face off gesture, but there's like the face on gesture <laughs> for face off, which comes from John Travolta's family, where he basically does this face plant on his wife. He just as- sort of palms her face, like just pets her face. Yeah. Like he starts at her forehead and just like schmooshes down her face with his palm. It's very odd. Yeah. So it's like the Pat Morita thing of wax on, wax off. So there's face off, there's face on. And so, yeah, there's this this pawing thing they do in that family. And that's kind at of the each signal. other's faces. And it's meant yeah. to be very intimate and loving. And he does that to Adina Menzel <laughs> during the Oscar <laughs> telecast. <laughs> That's glorious. Now, I love it. okay. Um, so anyway, face off. I I absolutely love that film. It oh, is yeah. so much fun. It is over the top action. It is a ridiculous premise that you just have to chew on and enjoy. On my list, we only picked five each. 
Mm-hmm. One of the movies that if we had gone to six that would be on mine would be The Core because that is also a over-the-top action film that you just sort of chew on and enjoy. <laughs> so Face Off, The Core, all in the same family. They get together, they all drink the same brand of wine. <laughs> totally. Although, you know, there's another movie on your list that brings the cage. Oh, fuck yeah. 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 Now, funnily enough, when I'm sick or down or one of my happy movies is not Face Off. I love Face Off. Don't get Mm -hmm. me wrong. I love it. But when I need some Nicolas Cage ridiculousness, what I turn to is National Treasure, which is really glorious in its own way. Because I love pseudo history (laughs) so much. So much. Also, it's got Riley... I love the character of Riley. So Ed has got Sean Bean, and he's even in a park at the beginning, which means that every time I watch it now, everything he pops up at the beginning, I'm like, winter is coming. (laughs) (laughs) I have such a ridiculously good time doing that. I'm such a jerk. (sighs) But I do, I love history, and I love American history. And so I love the pseudo-history of Benjamin Franklin and his magic glasses and the, and the Declaration of Independence having secret messages. I love, I love all of that shit with like the, um, where there's secret societies and secrets and puzzles and blah, 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 blah. And it's all ridiculous and over the top. And I love it so much. <laughs> I can't handle it. It makes me so happy. And then John Voight shows up and he pretends that he doesn't know what's happening, but he does. And then he fools <laughs> them. And then he's like, well, I guess we better figure it out. And then they do. And they light the fire. And oh my God, there's so much of it. And then <laughs> is it Harvey Keitel? I think it is. It's Harvey Keitel. <laughs> and he's a he's a Mason too. And it's so great. Everybody's a Mason. It's so Except so, women. Women can't be Masons. It's so ridiculous and wonderful. <laughs> it really is. And I've been to Washington, DC, and I've seen the actual Declaration of Independence. And so now that I've actually been there, I super enjoy it even more. <laughs> there, It's a heist film and a puzzle film. And I have to say, it is a movie that will turn you on to American history. <laughs> if you weren't before, because you're going to be like, well, this is delightfully ridiculous. I wonder what the truth is. <laughs> I know one of our British listeners is really into National Treasure. And <laughs> Isn't it great? I just want to know what his fascination with National Treasure is. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe I'll go stalk him in Leeds when I'm over there in April. Oh, I mean, and it's so much fun even to just poke holes in how oh, ridiculous yeah. it is. Rid- ridiculous? I can't Redonculous. Stop. Redonculous it is. I know it's ridiculous. I, I've told the story on this podcast before that when I wanted to buy it, my husband was like, really? It's not very good. It, I mean, if you want to watch that movie, just watch Raiders of the Lost Ark. Yes, but honey, sometimes I'm in the mood to watch Raiders of the Lost Ark, but I want it to be bad. <laughs> That's national treasure. That's kind of sad and sweet at the same time. <laughs> I can't help it. <laughs> Next. So, Melissa, 
If you don't want to watch, <laughs> no, <that's laughs> let's try that again. If you don't want to watch, <laughs> first day of So, Melissa, if you don't want to watch Face Off, what other movie might you turn to? Ooh, I love Seven Samurai. <gasps> Oh, yeah. I know, right? That's so good. Okay, for those of you who have never seen an Akira Kurosawa film and go, oh, that's like art movies and kind of dismiss it. No, 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 no. Seven Samurai is the first modern action movie. And it is it is Japanese cinema. It is subtitled and all that stuff. But by God, it is so entertaining. Yeah, it is. It is damn near four hours long. It doesn't feel that long. It's a samurai movie. It has Toshiro Mufune. 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 And, and wandering around like the big lumbering idiot he is in that movie. Yet and, oddly handsome. And yet oddly handsome, kind of in that animalistic way. He's sort of a John Belushi. He's a Japanese John Belushi. He, he, you know, he kind of is. Mm-hmm. Without the, you know, cocaine. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 And um, um, Takashi Shimura is actually my favorite of that film because Takashi Shimura being the leader of the samurai, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. the man who, who shows up first, who the Yul Brynner character, the Yul Brynner character and the man who shows up um, and shaves off his samurai ponytail <gasps> to look like a monk <gasps> so he can save the child in the village. Um, oh just, my God. That's so noble. I know. Right. I know. I know. I can't and handle that. I, I love Shimura. He's, he's kind of the grounding force for this, this team that is built through the course of the movie. We got to put a team together. We got to put a team together. We're getting the band back together. Yeah. Seven samurai, seven samurai. And everybody's got their specialty. Like, you know, one is for good humor. One has the sword uh, skills. One's the kid, you, you know, cause they had to flesh out their ranks. And then, you know, you have Mishfune who naturally had to make it in. But anyway, it's, it is it is a story structure you have seen a hundred times because it all came from this. It is the we're building a team to accomplish a task and the the sacrifices that come after that. Here's the thing about Kurosawa. Everybody talks about Kurosawa. Everybody talks about Kurosawa. Mm-hmm. So you start to think Kurosawa, oh, Artie. Mm-hmm. Truffaut, Fellini, Kurosawa, mm-hmm. right? What you need to do is go Kurosawa, Spielberg, Kurosawa, Hitchcock. Yeah, uh, um, yeah. It's Spielberg is a very good modern equivalent. It's the it's the combination of art and popular appeal. He is his movies are so fucking entertaining that you don't notice right away just how masterful they are. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's the thing is that if you, if you're new to movie watching and, oh, Kurosawa is like, oh, and it starts to feel like homework or like vitamins, yeah. right? Something you need to do if you're going to do It's like, things. oh, blah, I got, blah, I got to eat my spinach now. No, no. But Kura fucking Sawa, just watch him. Yeah, I can totally understand. Now, mm-hmm. the one thing I will say is I'm a big advocate for subtitles, not dubbing. Yes. And the thing I will say is this, the reason why I don't end up with subtitled movies when I'm as my comfort food movies is Mm -hmm. often when I'm sick, I don't want to read a movie. Yeah. Although, you know, I get such entertainment out of... Well, you don't Japanese. watch for the plot anyway. 
Well, I know I watch Seven Samurai for the plot, but there's such an enjoyment I get from especially Japanese samurai movies from watching subtitles because the the original Japanese is it's so manly. You know, the, the And then the subtitle is like, please bring me a biscuit. Yeah. I'd like a beverage. And and just hearing Tashiro Mufune grunt is a religious experience. It really know? is. It really I is. really agree with you on that. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking donuts, man. <laughs> I am clearly hungry. I'm waiting for the pizza to arrive. <laughs> so, Wendy, what is another movie you love to watch? <laughs> You just love the experience of it. I love it so much. I just, I want to cry sometimes with how delightfully ridiculous it is. <laughs> and I know it's ridiculous. I, trust me, I know it's okay. ridiculous. Okay. The Cutting Edge. Is that the Jeff Bridges? No, 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 no. It's the D.B. Sweeney, Moira Kelly. Oh. With, um, oh, the father is played by the same guy who plays the general in the core. Okay. Okay. You, you know who I'm talking about? Nope. Um, he's bald. If you look him up, you'll be like that guy. Okay, got it. That guy. Anyway, the re the the cutting edge is an ice skating movie. So right there. Oh Jesus! (laughs) It's a a figure skating movie. (laughs) Have you never seen the cutting edge? No. All right, put it on the list. Oh my God, it's so ridiculously wonderful. This is is going far down the rabbit hole right now. Okay. 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 The cutting edge. Okay. The cutting edge is about. Olympic figure skating. Oh Jesus! <laughs> it's in. It's about Olympic figure skating in the same way that anything about the Olympics in a movie is about the Olympics, right? <laughs> Where when you watch it, you go, that is not what the Olympics are like. Shh, <laughs> shh, shh. Just calm down. It's okay. All right. So Moira Kelly is a pairs figure skater, and she fails at winning the gold medal. Oh my God! Oh dear. And so then we jump forward like, you know, three years and she's looking for a new partner because she failed at winning the gold medal before. (laughs) This is all like, even like just in the credits. And so they're looking for a new male partner for her. Okay. D.B. Sweeney is a Olympic hockey player. He, hockey, hockey, right? Okay. And he, he. Because that's the same. He got hit in the head by like a puck or a stick or something at the Olympics. The same Olympics where she failed. Okay. And his eyes, he's got like a blind spot now. And so he's all like, I can play, I can play, I can play, but nobody's going to let him play because he's got a blind spot. Dude, you're not going to play hockey again. And so then, um, oh, and you'd recognize the character actor. He does, he does Russian character acting a lot. I got, anyway. (laughs) And he shows up and he's like, look, um, I can't do a German accent right now. I'm drunk. He's all like, look, um, we are looking for a skater. And he's like, I've been working out. I've been working out. I can totally play hockey. He's like, we are not looking for hockey. We are looking for figure skater. And so first off, there's this whole like thing with hockey versus figure skating. And any man who would do figure skating is totally gay. So there's a little bit of homophobia, but I don't care because I love this movie. It's so ridiculous. 
And so then he's got to go learn how to figure skate with Moira Kelly. And there's an extended sequence where he's on figure skates for the first time. Do you know what the difference between figure skates and and hockey skates is? One blade versus two. No, no. They play on one blade with with hockey. I thought they had dual blades with hockey. No, the difference is that a hockey blade is completely smooth all the way around. Oh, and and it doesn't have the, the, the spiky bits on the front. You know what that's called? It's called a toe pick. And you know that if you'd watch the movie, because every time he inadvertently hits that front edge of the toe pick Ah. and falls flat on his face, Moira Kelly skates by and goes, toe pick. (laughs) You know what's really sad? I grew up in an ice capades family. (laughs) Toe pick. My aunt was in ice capades. I should know this shit. I don't. So anyway, I'm a sure. It's your classic opposites attract story, right? Because he's all working class and she's all upper class. And he's learning how to figure skate, but he's kind of ashamed of the fact he's figure skating because he was a hockey star and blah, blah, blah. And then they finally go start going to competitions. And if you watch competitive figure skating like I do, you're just like, what? That's not what it looks like. <laughs> and then the best thing ever is they come up with a, their coach comes up with a brand new move that they're going to debut, but it's mm-hmm. super dangerous. And it's a bounce spin <clears throat> into a, into a throw triple. Okay. <clears throat> now, if you watch the movie, you will, qu- even if you don't know anything about figure skating, you will quickly realize that that's not how physics works. <laughs> <laughs> that in fact, because a bounce spin is one of those spins where the the male skater has the female by the feet, okay, and they're spinning around and they sort of bounce her close to the ice, but then up, right? Okay. And the whole idea is, look how close I can get her to the ice, and how dangerous that is. And she trusts me. It's it's a really fascinating f- at, while they're spinning, right? Because you're spinning centrifugal force. Well, in the movie, it's all like, oh, look, I'm bouncing her while I'm spinning and then I'm going to let her feet go and she's going to spin on the spot and I'm going to catch her. No, if no. you, if you no. let her feet go, she's going to go flying. And that's, and that's the thing. It is so ridiculous that, and this is kind of a theme through my movies that I love. Oh, pizza's here. and dear listeners we will leave you in suspense okay wendy you should you should finish that thought (laughs) i don't remember what it was all right so okay the physics that don't don't happen okay this is a theme through my movies okay of ridiculousness okay there is no way science works like that okay and that's part of what i find charming about it that's not what's gonna happen and when you watch the whole scene where they do it they're skating in super dramatic lighting with spotlights that is not what the olympics looks like (laughs) remotely but you see she's they're all in love with each other but they're not gonna admit it and so she's gonna quit but he's like no you can't and then finally he's like wait i love you and she's like we're gonna do this super dangerous movie what we don't have to it's super dangerous and then they do this super dangerous move and he's and he's like you didn't have to do that she's like yes i did because i love you and it's so just 
go with it. Just go with it. I just need to show you this movie because it's so ridiculously wonderful. It's bad, but it's awesome. <laughs> I love it so much. Okay, now I can smell the pizza. We need to eat that. Mm. Is it it's your it, birthday? It's not, not quite. Not, almost, not almost, 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 oh, almost. So it's, you're going to huh. be 40. It's coming up. <laughs> Where is it? Where is it? I'm waiting for my phone to roll over. Come on. Ah, it's your birthday. Oh, my God. Oh, I am 40 now. Melissa's 40. We have captured this for posterity. Ding. Or at least for the next five years when this Ooh. audio format is still valid. I know, right? Mm. All right, listeners, we took a we took brief a pizza break. break. We took a pizza break. I want to recommend Sarpino's Pizza. Yeah. Because it, it did hit the spot. Yeah. In in the lack of um, of Jets Pizza, Sarpino's came and rescued. Yeah, seriously, I Jets is a favorite, but I do not in any way want to imply that Sarpino's is not worthy of love. Right. Because right. Sarpino's, number one... Open till 1 a.m. as opposed to 10 p.m. Right there. On a weeknight. That is something to love. Yeah. Also, Sarpino's seriously delicious. Yeah. That, oh, and their tomato sauce is, mmm. We added feta cheese to a pepperoni pizza. That was that You was should really consider good. some feta with your yeah. pepperoni. Mm. That was, yeah. Mm. That mm. The flavor combination was why ah, in my mouth i liked it all right so it's melissa's mm. turn mm. next what else is on your happy making movie list crawl oh, yes i know right <laughs> i you know what i don't know why crawl is on this list but it is it is it is it delightful just, it speaks to me it's um I, I first discovered Krull when I was a kid, you know, like um, not far after it arrived on home video. Okay, so Krull is this bizarro, not quite entirely successful, but really creative fantasy epic that um, is also kind of a space epic because there, there are aliens. You just kind of take aliens and fantasy epic it's and mash them together. It's a fantasy epic where the fantastical elements are aliens. Well, sometimes. Shh. Shh. Also magic. Also magic plus lasers. So, you know, that's pretty great. It's kind of... <laughs> it, it, it's also great to play... Um, it's laser punk fantasy punk. epic. It's not punk, but, you know, definitely fantasy epic with lasers. And it's fun to play, uh, name that actor. Yes, that is true. Yeah, because this was made in, what, 1982-ish? Something like that. And it has a very young Liam Neeson. It has a very young... In a bit part. Yeah, in a bit part. A very young Robbie Coltrane in a bit part. Uh, Also, the leading actor... Plays Commander Harrington in Deep Space Nine. Does he? Yes. When he shows up and Commander Harrington in Deep Space Nine has a recurring role that is very satisfying and very chewy. And when he first showed up, I'm like, I recognize those cheekbones. Why do I know you? I'm amazed you recognize his cheekbones because what I notice are the striped tights. Yeah, well, which are a delightful thing as well. But he's got a twinkle in his eye, and he's got that dimple. Oh. And so the minute I started looking at his face with those cheekbones and that dimple, I'm like, 
who are you? I've seen you before and I've liked you. I've liked you before. And so I did. I resorted to IMDb and I'm like, oh my God, it's Colwyn. He had the glaive. He did have the glaive, which is the most useless weapon in the history of fantasy epics. It is not useless. It only does one thing. (laughs) It's very effective at the one thing it does. Jesus. I it's, that's I mean seriously I think the glaive is a super cool weapon that he never uses and when he finally uses he's like it's okay that I lost it really no you should get that shit back yeah seriously go over there and pick it up well it's <laughs> it's buried in the beast I love the design of this movie though oh yeah it's so much it's, fun it's very artistic the way they design the lair of the beast and and sort of the surreal elements of it Mm -hmm. and then the way that you never get a good look at the beast is super great oh yeah that's super great also there's something to um fantasy films prior to like 1985 you know prior to when we get to cgi land when everything has to be done with models and practical uh special effects work there's such a wonderful gravity to uh, fantasy films in that era. There, there's a sweet spot that was hit about 1979 and 1980 that went to the CGI era where the fantasy films made in that era just have this great look to them. Yeah, because it was practical. Yeah. They were being super creative on how they could manage to make these effects happen. And oh, and it and it feels more real. And they were really inventive with what they were doing. And like the end, the the further endpoint of that is Willow. Like Willow is the endpoint because that's when the morphing special effects started to come in. Yeah. And you know Willow still has some of that, you know, great, um, you know, blending of reality and fantasy. But then all after that, it's just kind of. It's not quite the same. Willow's kind of a mess. Willow is definitely a mess, but, but it, there are parts of it I really like. It's got Val Kilmer. It does. It does. With ponytails. <laughs> but anyway, back to Crawl. Back to it, it, Crawl is just so much delightful fun. It's got a great score. It's it got, really does. Yeah, and it's got these fantasy elements that I haven't seen in other movies. And it's unashamedly epic. Oh yeah, it's like a it's, girl of ancient name. Yeah. Yeah, it's just, look, there's even prophecies, motherfucker. Yeah. It, yes. It just goes straight for the gold. It, it, it is unironic and passionate about everything it's doing. And the, the Cyclops and the Fire Mares, Fire Mares, Fire Mares can travel a thousand leagues in a day. And then, and then it's, oh, he has to stay because if you fight your fate, then it's even worse. But then he comes and he saves them and it's mm-hmm. awesome. Yay. And, and the little wizard dude, what's his name? What's his name? Oh, oh, oh. He's the same guy who's in um, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory as the teacher. <gasps> oh, yeah. Um, oh, I, I'm not going to remember his name. Uh, Ergo. Yeah, Ergo. 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 It is Ergo. It is Ergo. Ergo the Great. <laughs> Look at me. I'm amazing. I remember that and I'm super drunk. Uh-huh. God bless you, Ergo. Krull is fantastic. I remember my mom when we watched that 
way back in the 80s for the first several times because it was on the movie channel. And my mom, what she expressed about it was that she liked that the romance was romantic Mm -hmm. and that they kiss maybe twice Mm -hmm. and there wasn't some big sex scene, which I'm sure she appreciated because she had younger kids. Hello, Mm -hmm. me. But also, now that I'm older, I can also appreciate that in terms of just because you're in love doesn't mean you have to like do it. Mm Mm-hmm. Or, well, do it on screen. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm not saying that I'm squeamish about sex or that I'd, I'm not sex positive, but you know what? Every time you're in love doesn't mean you have to fucking do it. Yeah. You don't have to go full Excalibur on that. Yes. <laughs> All right. So it's my turn. Okay. Another one of my feel good movies mm. is Sea Biscuit. Oh, it's a movie about a horse, (laughs) (laughs) but even more so because we already know from National Treasure, I have a fondness for history. Okay. And the dude who does the narration is the same guy who does the narration for all of Ken Burns documentaries. So it's practically like a Ken Burns documentary. He's all like. I'm using this voice to talk about this thing, blah, blah, blah. And it is a biopic, so it is based on true historical things. And and it's got Jeff Bridges and, oh, oh who's the who's the woman? Because um, she's in Pitch Perfect. I love her. Elizabeth Banks, she's in there. And Tobey Maguire, And right? Tobey Maguire actually acting. Excellent. Well, have you seen Sibiscuit? I am not. It's a biscuit. I'm. I'm. I'm also fascinated that earlier you said mock documentary, which, which I really want a mock documentary right now. So, so no, I have not seen Sea Biscuit. You haven't. I have not seen Sea Biscuit, and it's an underdog sports film. I get. I know you have a fondness. I do. I do. I do. I do have a fondness for underdog sports film. In this case, the sport is horse racing, and the underdog is Sea Biscuit. Um, what's nice about it is the way the film is constructed because it's based on a book. That was written. Um, and I have read the book, and the book is fascinating. And the book is totally about the reality. Mm-hmm. And they did a really good job of adapting it. But the nice thing about the book and what carries through in the movie is that they the progress of the the horse, because mm-hmm. that he's a character, Seabiscuit, in right. the movie. The progress of the horse is echoed in what is going on in the nation, which is the Great Depression. Oh. Yeah. Okay. And the horse, his progress is also the progress of the people associated with him, his owner, who was recovering from the tragic loss of his child and the divorce from his wife when they couldn't handle it and his remarriage. So the rebuilding of his life, and part of that was... Seabiscuit and deciding to race horses. And okay. the jockey who raced Seabiscuit, who was somebody that the his family abandoned him mm-hmm. because of the Great Depression, because he could actually make a living caring for horses. And so go do that and make a living and bye, we'll never see you again because this is the Great Depression and you have a job and we have to go look someplace else for jobs. And that's 
So his story of redemption through Seabiscuit and how this horse becomes in a symbol for hope and renewal for the people in that are directly connected to him, but also for the nation. And it's, it's a really well-constructed narrative that is so just satisfying (laughs) and it turns and yay for the heroes and it's beautifully shot i mean it's just beautifully put together the cinematography and uh, and it's got pretty pictures of horses and it's got jeff bridges and it's got oh oh chris cooper's in it cool yeah i know it's a fantastic cast and it's yeah, you just sort of pop it in and go, I'm going to watch this and it's going to make me feel good. And it's going to make me feel like that no matter what, there's a way to triumph. <laughs> that is what Seabiscuit does for you. But seriously, who names a horse Seabiscuit? What what does that, what does Seabiscuit mean? I, I don't even, I keep meaning to look it up. I feel like it's, I always am like, what is that, like a sea anemone? I don't even know. But sea biscuit feels like it should be some sort of turd of the sea or something i don't think i'd eat a sea biscuit no all right so melissa Mm. what is another one of your happy making movies road warrior yeah (laughs) (laughs) or mad max 2 if you're from australia so yeah 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 so you're sitting there you're like "Mm, i'm i'm not feeling good i want to feel better or hey i'm happy you know what'll make me feel super good i can i can watch road warrior multiple times per year because that's unusual for you really unusual for me there there is something that never gets old about road warrior i well I, i know you love car movies i love car movies um being a gearhead is a path not followed for me. It's like if I if I had infinite free time, I would be a total freaking gearhead. I would be fixing cars. I would own a dozen classic cars. I would, I would, I would be into that. Yes. And uh, so yeah, I love car movies. And Road Warrior is one of the best, if not the best, car chase ever filmed. Wow. And. You're saying that when you've shown me Gone in 60 Seconds, yeah, the go- original. Gone in 60 Seconds is an amazing thing. Gone in 60 Seconds is that pure underdog, um, am- not quite amateur, you know, like really competent amateur, going for the gold sort of car chase, which does last half of the movie. Really impressive. What Road Warrior is, it's the masterclass. This is the the distilled the the perfection of the craft. This is the the ultimate perfection of stringing shot to shot to shot. How to film a car chase? It is beautiful, beautiful piece of action work. Um, and you know the rest of the movie around it is good too, which is not necessarily something I can say for Gone in sixty seconds. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that is sadly true. Yeah, it is sadly true. It's a fun movie, and then you get the char- uh, yeah. yeah, it's a fun movie. It's a fun movie cast by mm, amateurs, stuntmen. Yeah, stunt yeah. drivers. One of these days, we will do a car stunt movie uh, podcast, a, a car chase. podcast and i will go into my love gone in 60 seconds this is not that podcast 
Bad Moon Rising before we do that. Yes. Yes, I will. So Road Warrior. Road Warrior is it's a movie I didn't realize how beautiful it was until I found it on HD. Mm. Because when HD hit the market, one of the first things I bought... <laughs> I had an HD DVD player because we were given one at Buttonumathon once. That is, yep. Yeah. And one of the first things I bought for it was the Road Warrior. Oh, yeah. Because it, it happened to be there. And it's like, yeah, Road Warrior. I like Road Warrior. And they popped it in and went, <gasps> oh. <laughs> because I think when a lot of people think of Road Warrior, they think of that. Um, I watched it on video in the 80s. You don't realize the scope and beauty of the movie until you see it in full high definition. It's this beautiful widescreen desert opulence that George Miller brings to you. And it's, it, it is just gorgeous. That perfect blue sky and, and beautiful desert landscapes. Really young Mel Gibson, you know, before we knew he was like, racist and crazy uh, and crazy oh, but those blue eyes oh yeah and he's good he's really good and then you know all the other stuff around it all the you know the this kind of underdog movie of you've got this holdout of of people living in this kind of citadel around an oil well while these rampaging uh uh barbarians in bdsm gear come charging at them in in cars that were built from spare parts and it's it's just insanity because you can tell like this movie is constructed from the dregs of thrift shops all over australia (laughs) but it's beautifully filmed and it's an engaging story and even characters who are on screen for just a couple minutes have kind of a life to them which is the magic of director director george miller you know he can he can construct a story out of just the barest minimum of um, ingredients so i i love the movie and every time i watch it i see new stuff (laughs) and then and then the end of it is this car chase it is this car chase that is amazing it's a brutal it's a brutal it's a brutal car chase brutal car chase it is the antithesis of everything you see in action movies today because this is a car chase that is uh, filmed with very long shots. Um, there are multiple things happening. There are like five or six cars on screen any given time, but you always know in your brain where they all are and what's happening with each one because George Miller is very careful about how he chooses his shots and strings the action together. Which is something I miss. I miss understanding the bigger picture of where is everybody? Right. And, and the way he films it, I mean, there's this thought these days that if you don't, you know, cut shots quickly, it's not exciting enough, but that's not the case. You have to be really dynamic with your camera shots to keep the energy going. And Miller really knows how to do that. You know, you, you see the camera shots he does and they're like low to the ground or high up. And he, he just keeps finding new ways to show you what's going on. And the key is always showing you 
what's going on and making In sure. In a way that you can understand it. Yeah, precisely. I get so frustrated with these action scenes where I'm like, I don't know who's hitting who. I don't know what's going on. I don't even know how many people are fighting right now because mm-hmm. there's so much just kinetic action. It's bleh. So yeah, when you go back to those older films where they hadn't learned the wrong lessons. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's like... Um, I think what happened was there was this this move towards cinema verite that happened in the 90s where, you know, they were taking lessons from documentary films, handheld cameras, and um, just taking whatever available footage and and kind of um, banking on the confusion to make the, the excitement work, which to a point does work. Well, yeah, I mean, there is something to be said for... If what you're wanting to communicate is the confusion of the moment, yeah, then a flurry of movement that you don't really understand, yeah, great. Absolutely. Except I don't think that's what you were trying to communicate right there in that moment every time. Right, right. And, and it's really easily used lazily. Ah. It, it's very easy to cover... Poor editing, poor direction with... A poor plan. Poor planning. It's easy to cover that stuff with that kind of cinema verite look. Whereas what George Miller is doing in Road Warrior is this meticulous planning. And and it, it's just beautiful. <laughs> and every time I watch it, I'm like, yeah! It's just <laughs> so good! Yeah! <laughs> Also, there's a feral kid with a boomerang that cuts fingers off, and that makes me happy. Yeah, that would. <laughs> that would totally make you happy, yes. It totally does. I, to be fair, also makes me happy. Yeah. Uh, oh, and uh, Virginia Hay in uh, uh, giant shoulder pads oh, and, yeah. and a headband. That makes me happy, too. Yes. Mm-hmm. All right, my turn. Yes. I'm going to go with burlesque. Ooh. Burlesque is definitely one of my sit-on-the-couch-when-I-need-a-pick-me-up movies. Cher looks amazing. (laughs) And she's sharing all over the place. (laughs) She's she's flipping her hair. She's striding around. And she's doing her thing. She even gets a big solo in the middle of it where she's practicing, right? The club isn't empty and she's like, okay, let's run through the number for tomorrow night. And so she does this great big power ballad alone on the stage of the club and she delivers it with her shareness, right? Because, <laughs> oh my God, the work that woman's done, I'm pretty sure her face is 80% immobile. <laughs> Now, that said, she is a warm and likable presence on Mm -hmm. screen. And it does not hurt that her gay best friend is Stanley Tucci. (laughs) (laughs) Amen to Stanley Tucci. Stanley Tucci. And she's this fag hag. And they are best friends. And there's so much witty banter. And it's all catty and bitchy and as only the best gay banter is in these sorts of movies (laughs) oh i just love it also um kristen bell haha oh kristen bell is in it and um 
Julianne Hough, for those of you who are Dancing with the Stars fans like I am. <laughs> and of course, the actual star is Christina Aguilera. Now, the reason to watch this movie is it is... It has fantastic dance numbers. <laughs> the production numbers are amazing and they are they are completely and unashamedly influenced by Fosse. <laughs> just like super duper just why don't you just give him a blowjob seriously. And Christina Aguilera does a really good job and she's got an amazing voice and the dance numbers are great and the music is fun and the plot is reasonable enough that you don't care <laughs> all right and one of the things i like about it is the um sort of purported bad guy the guy that you would think would be like the villain of the piece mm -hmm. he's not actually oh he's a businessman he's got his businessman interests and he's clearly working towards his own ends but at the same time, you're like, well, actually, that's kind of reasonable. He's completely upfront and honest about it the entire time. Huh. Huh. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. So um, the sexual politics of it are um, not too offensive, which is sort of delightful in a movie of this caliber. Let's be honest. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. And I have to say, my husband and I watched it together. And there's a reason he's my husband. We watched it. We rented it. And at the end of the movie, my husband turned to me and said, we need to own that movie. <laughs> and that was yet another moment of, I'm so glad I married you. <laughs> that you understand how much fun that was. It's just super duper fun. Yes. All right. What do you got? All right. I believe we're on our last picks. Mm, yeah, yeah, we're down we're, to we're it. We're on our last round. My final one is playtime. I do not know this movie. Okay. Tell me, Melissa. Playtime. It's a French film. French, 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 fries, French film. Ha, ha, ha. Ha, ha, ha. It is a film by Jacques Tati. Oh. Jacques Tati, who um, directed all of like six films in his life. What are some of his other films? His other films are <laughs> Jure de Fête, mm -hmm. Monsieur Hulot's Holiday. Mon Uncle, Playtime, Traffic, and Parade. Yes. Okay. <laughs> I'm not drunk enough that I've lost my IMDb in my head. So, By the way, listeners, she did that all from memory. She I, did not look that up. I totally did. I totally did. Yeah, I, uh, I'm, a, I'm a big fan of Jacques Titi. But four of those six films all feature the same character that are played by Jacques Titi. Huh. Monsieur okay. Hulot. And Monsieur Hulot is kind of this, um, he's kind of like a 60s equivalent of Charlie Chaplin's The Tramp. And so it's kind of this slapstick, not, not really slapstick character, but he's a, a comedy character that mostly exists without words, who kind of bumbles around and makes things complicated. Mm -hmm. that, and that's kind of how it is. Um, the Monsieur Hulot films are comedies that are very kind of Chaplin-esque in that they are, like, if they were silent, they would still play. Like, the comedy would still play. Kind of um, like Mr. Bean. Kind of like Mr. Bean, yeah. Yeah, very much so. They're, they're, they rely heavily on silent comedy, kind of slapstickish. Um, the Monsieur Hulot character is kind of this 
bumbling uncle sort of guy. And uh, Jacques Tati was very tall, very kind of imposing looking. He's he's just this big guy, but you know, you slap a fishing hat on him, put him put a pipe on him and like two short pants on him and he kind of bumbles around and he's very endearing. <laughs> so he's kind of this lovable uncle character who just kind of stumbles around and makes mischief. Not intentionally. Um, he's The thing you get from the Hulo films is that they're very genial. They're very fun. It's not embarrassment comedy. It's not mean comedy. It's just very... It's like friendly. You don't laugh out loud, but you're smiling. I love it. Yeah. And Playtime is the third of the four Hulo films. And Playtime is kind of where Tati peaked in terms of the budget he got, the talent he got to help him, um, the, the just sheer forces of resources that helped make this film. Playtime is set in a modern city, and it's kind of putting Hulot against the baffling things about the modern world. And it's got this like 1965-ish modernism about it. So like Ooh. it's it's towering glass office buildings and just kind of this loving picture of downtown modernism that also kind of takes a cynical look at it. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Okay. And um, it is a very simple comedy that if you dig at it, it has bigger things to say. Nice. Yeah. And I love it so much because it, it it's not one of those movies that goes, oh, th- this modern world is so baffling and we should all just, you know, go back to the simpler things of life. No, it, it kind of has this, this eye of, yeah, this is all baffling, but isn't it beautiful? as well look at this gorgeous thing it's also really ridiculous but it's beautiful there's a great scene in the movie where it's just um tati's character in a waiting room in a glass building so the walls are all glass and then there is another uh set of walls are also glass too so you can see traffic driving by in the street but he's in this waiting room with these really modernist looking leather chairs and he tries to sit down in one it makes kind of this (laughs) noise and a kind of the squeak and he kind of sits up and and it has this dent in it that after a second goes and fills back up again (laughs) what are those chairs he just kind of stares at it and he tries sitting down again (laughs) (laughs) as he sets up again and you know, eventually somebody else comes into the room and they sit down. And <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's kind of the level of the comedy. But there's it, there's also this Gilliam-esque level to it where, you know, he's looking over seas of cubicles with people working in them. And there's kind of this weird delight in fantasy land to it. But without that Gilliam dystopia. And I find it fascinating and really joyful to watch there is a scene later in the film the scene's about 30 minutes long and it's about the opening of a restaurant mm-hmm. and uh like it's the first night open for the restaurant so like before they open the doors you see them still like pasting down tiles on the dance floor sort of thing Aww. and you can see the the people working there and the the restaurant manager just trying to 
you know, get everything ready and then people start coming in. And through the course of the dinner, you see things slowly going wronger and wronger and wronger. Like the um, the chairs, which are th- these really cool modernist things with like um, crowns on them. They're wrought iron with crowns on the top. They're leaving impressions in people's backs. So when people get up to dance, you can see the crowns on the back. <laughs> um, they're one of the waiters, like he, um, something goes wrong with his uniform. So he's he starts hiding out on on the balcony and then other waiters as like they walk by the these modernist chairs their clothes start getting torn so they keep going out to the waiter who's waiting on the porch to trade clothes with him (laughs) they're like oh your jacket's not torn can we trade and so this poor waiter is just getting more and more disheveled 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 as he's waiting out there and but the point of the whole scene is as this evening goes on, even as things are going wrong for the restaurant, people have more and more fun. Yay! So people are dancing, they're drinking, they're having a good time, they're partying, and ultimately it doesn't really matter. Yay! They're just, you know, people are just having a great time no matter what the details are. Yeah. Yeah. I would much rather watch a movie whose central idea is a happy one. Yeah. <laughs> than I would a movie that's like, by the way, life sucks. <laughs> okay, so time for my last movie. Yes, yes. I'm going to go way, way back. Okay. This is a movie that my mom showed me when I was a kid. And I still love it. And I bought it on DVD when I got the chance. Because it's it's so warm and romantic. Angel and the Bad Man. Oh. It's got... um. It's got John Wayne when he's super young, and if you've only ever seen John Wayne when he's kind of craggy, when he was young, he was super pretty. He, he really was. And, oh, and the girl is the same girl from The Uninvited. I want to say her name was Rosalind Gail Russell. There, I knew there was an <laughs> R name in there. Gail Russell. Okay, so the story. So John Wayne is this West. It's a Western. Mm-hmm. It's an old black and white Western. And John Wayne is a notorious outlaw. His name is Quirt Evans. And he's been in some sort of shoot 'em up. And he comes staggering onto a farm in the West. And the people there take him in. He, he's like delirious. He's hurt. He's got a gunshot wound, etc. And when he wakes up and comes to, he finds out that the people he stumbled into are Quakers. <laughs> so they don't believe in violence okay. at all. And there's Gail Russell, who's the teenage daughter. And she's like, ooh, you're kind of pretty. <laughs> and yes, they're... The sexual politics are outdated, but in the context of the time, they're super progressive because Gail Russell unabashedly pursues him. And she's like, no, I really want you, but I don't like the fact that you're a, you're an outlaw and you kill people because I don't believe in violence. So I'm just going to look at you in a disappointed manner anytime you think that you're going to do that and you're going to stop doing it. And so it's this beautiful romance between a hardened criminal Mm -hmm. and a Quaker. (laughs) And the hardened criminal, needless to say, is 
totally redeemed by the end. Excellent. And it's a sweet love story, and it's got some fun Western-style action, and the characters are really well-drawn, and you'll recognize a lot of the character actors in it, seriously, if you watch it. And there's, like, fun things, like there's a grumpy rancher who's not sharing the water rights, Mm -hmm. like he's dammed up the water, and so their farm isn't growing, and... And Kurt is all like, well, you you need to just go tell him that he can't, he needs to knock it off. Well, we can't do that because we're Quakers and we we believe in being peaceful. And and the way that all turns out is just super adorable. <laughs> Cause it's kind of passive aggressive and but it's also beautifully manipulative, <laughs> right? The way that works out. And then the bad guys show up and they're all like, well, aren't you going to shoot us? But Quirt is starting to get on board with the whole idea of, well, I kind of like this girl. And if I, if I kill people from now on, she knows what I was before. But if I kill people from the point that I met her, she's going to stop loving me. And I think she's kind of neat. So I got to find a new way out of this. <laughs> <laughs> I just love it. And he's... John Wayne is famous for being a man's man Mm -hmm. and, you know, for things like Stagecoach and The Searchers and even True Grit, where he's known for just being tough. And what's so delightful about this is he's funny and he's romantic in a way that you don't really get to see a whole lot of later on. Mm -hmm. And it's delightful. (laughs) And... So, you know, I don't know, maybe maybe it's because I'm a girl and I like my chick flicks, but when I want a comfort movie, this movie is one that always puts a smile on my face. And the relationship between the family of the Quakers, between the mother and the father and their daughter, Gail Russell, and I think there's a younger son, I think it's just the, the two children, the relationship between the four of them is so warm and likable as well yeah it's a movie trust me just go watch it it's going to become a favorite if you like romantic comedies at all if you like that genre of kind of feel-good romances this movie is fantastic it's so delightful Speaking of feel good, yeah. we should share. <laughs> oh boy, oh boy! Some listener, some listener responses that made Melissa and I giggle. <laughs> yes, so so listener answers. <laughs> In retrospect, I don't know if they were listeners. <laughs> I don't think they were. Okay, I don't think they listen. Okay. Hey, Melissa, who are you? Suge five, you sing on Melissa. What do you do? Ah, uh, yes, nicely put, Everini. <laughs> so, what is in your personal pleasure dome then? Ah, uh, yes, nicely put, Everini. <laughs> and what then would be in your? What is your recommendation for our communal pleasure dome? Ah, yes. Nicely put, Everini. (laughs) I think this was a spam bot. (laughs) Really? (laughs) 
I talked about this on Facebook that I want to somehow figure out a way to make Everini like the new dude. Like we should we should try to incorporate this, get people to use it. Like yeah. I feel like Everini might be the new like droog. Yeah, I can't figure out where Everini came from. I know. I mean, Everini, E-V-O-R-E-E-N-Y. Everini. Everini. If, dear listeners, if you know what Everini means, please let us know, because we don't. Because <laughs> we do not. And needless to say, my Facebook friends were making all sorts of sarc- sarcastic comments. Sur- sarcastic? Sarcastic. Sarcastic. You're never going to make Streets Away happen. Give it up. <laughs> We also got some uh, nice ones in Tamil. Oh, yes. Yeah. Yes. We, we, we got some in Tamil. We got... Um... And we translated them and it was super delightful. We might have to do a... A separate one. with A separate those. reading of those. But yeah, there was also one where every question was answered with, if you're reading this, you're all set, partner. <laughs> hey, uh, what do way, you do? What do you do for a living? If you're reading this, you're all set, partner. What's in your personal pleasure dome? If you're reading this, you're all set, partner. What's your recommendation for our communal pleasure dome? If you're reading this, you're all set, partner. Bow, chicka, bow, bow. By the way, partner is spelled P-A-D-E-R-N-R. Of course it is. (laughs) Everini. Ah, yes. Everini. Everini. Droog. I mean, I could put some, you know, anti-robot things on... On that form, I suppose. Yes, but, but then we wouldn't have these to I be know, all right. These are kind of great. They entertain me. <laughs> ah, yes. Nicely put, Everini. Yes. It's the ah. It's ah, the ah. Yes. Ah, yes. yes. Like the person's took time to consider it. Mmm. Mm, yes. Mm. Ah, yes. Everini. 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 This might need to be a badge ribbon at conversion. <laughs> oh, yes, Everini. <laughs> with, with our logo. Ah, yes. Nicely, nicely put, put Everini. Everini. <laughs> if you're listening right now, you were there the moment that the idea occurred. Aren't you happy? <laughs> so... This has been another episode of Xanadu Cinema Pleasure Dome. Melissa and I have been drinking an awful lot of wine in preparation for her upcoming birthday. Or rather, it is my birthday. Well, at the time we started, it was upcoming, and now it is here! Bravo! Yay! Yay! That got some nice rings. It did. Yeah, your glass is empty. Mine will soon be. As I'm I'm sure the listeners have realized, I've been drinking of wine. So have I. I'm not sure about my enunciation anymore. So we're going to sign off now uh, because it's super late. And um, I'm not sure exactly how much longer I'll be coherent. So I'm Wendy and that's Melissa. And we've been talking about our feel-good films. Please share with us in the comments what your feel-good films are. Film, films. Films. Okay, I'm going to try that again. Cinema. Please share with us in the comments what your feel-good films are. We would love to know what they are. And we'll talk to you next week. Okay, bye. Bye. Boop. Thank you for joining us in the Xanadu Cinema Pleasure Dome. 
Our theme song was written by Tim Wick and Jeffrey Brown and recorded and mastered by Chad Dutton. New episodes arrive every Thursday. You can find us on iTunes and on Stitcher. You can also visit us at xanaducinema.com, follow us on Twitter at xanaducinema, and like us on Facebook at Xanadu Cinema Pleasure Dome. Audio note right okay. there. Okay, sober Melissa, take a note. Okay. <laughs> <laughs>